Okay, we are in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And we're just going to pick up. And let me mention that... So we're going to start from around verse 6. But remember last time we, we talked about how how it was written here um, five times in three verses about the mind. The battle starts in the mind. The battle is right there in the mind. And the battle is won in the mind. And he keeps repeating this. And in verses, in verses uh, 5, 6, and 7. Uh, well, 5, 6, yeah, 5, 6, and 7. This thing about the mind. So let's start reading from verse 6 again. <coughs> For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. So there's this duality that the mind can be set on the flesh and it just brings destruction in our lives. The mind can be set on the spirit and it brings life and peace. So remember what he's doing. He's, he's giving us this prescription for life and peace in our lives. You want life, you want peace, here it is. You set your mind on the things of the Spirit. You want death, you set your mind on the things of the flesh, and death is going to come, and it will destroy lives. And, and you know, I want so badly to see people saved. I mean, this wrenches my heart. The other thing that greatly saddens my heart is when I see people sacrifice their lives to, to have their mind set on the things of the flesh because it says it brings death. And I've seen it over and over again because I just watch young people's lives. For decades and decades, I've just watched lives of young people. Now let's pick it up in verse 7. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it's not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So when the mind is set on the flesh, it, it, it's unable to please God. It can't please God when it's set on the things of the flesh. And you, and you may say, well, you know, I, I, I really try to do good, but if it's not focused on the things of God, it can't be pleasing to God. And it's going to bring about death. Verse 8, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Remember, the believer cannot be in the flesh. They can work according to the flesh, but they cannot be in the flesh. They've been delivered from that. From that, <clears throat> The believer in Jesus Christ. So if you've accepted the Lord, you will never, ever lose your salvation. It's like I tell my children, and I've told them this all the time they were growing up. I said, I would say, you're always my child, and that can never change. You will always be my child. That will never change. And it's the same with God. Once we are His children, once we've accepted Him, that will never change. But you can lose out on the protection of that. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's let's start reading in verse 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now verse 10 from Romans chapter 8. If Christ is in you, Though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if... 
By the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Okay, so in, in verse... In, in verse 8, when he says, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God, he doesn't mean that the unbeliever never does anything good. But it's just because the unbeliever will forever be separated from God because God is perfect and they are not. And it's, there's no way we can get to God without being in Christ. And if you've received the Lord, and what does it say in Romans chapter 10, verse 9? That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart He's risen from the dead, you shall be saved. And that can never change. That which, that's what brings about sonship. Our sonship does not depend on obedience. We are forever His children. We will never lose that. But we'll bring destruction. And that's what we're going to read about. That's what this section is about. So this section is not about saying that we're losing our salvation. Not at all. Verse 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. For if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. So he's saying, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't belong to Him. There's no other way around it. you got to have the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God comes when we receive Him. That comes when we receive Him. Sometimes that may come when you're six years old, when you're four years old. And, and uh, uh, the Spirit of God comes, and the Spirit will never leave. And this is what he's talking about. But there is no way of being in God without the Holy Spirit being very much a part of that. And, and, uh, uh, and he says in verse 10, though, there's a shift. He doesn't say the Spirit of God or the Spirit of Christ. He says, if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. He, he shifts, he says, if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. If Christ is in you, so he switches from the spirit, the spirit is right there on the day of salvation. But it's almost as if, and I remember, I'm not a theologian, so I have to be really careful about saying it is this way or it isn't this way. But he makes a shift here when he says, if Christ is in you, so it's, it's almost as if, 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 as if this is the next level. If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. And Jesus, Jesus spoke about this sometimes in, in, in something that, that was similar. When he says, for example, in John chapter 14, in John chapter 14, if you look in verse 23, John chapter 14, verse 23, he said, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. Jesus said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. So how do we demonstrate our love for God? If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. So it's not by saying hallelujah ten times. It's not by doing Hail Marys. It is... It is Clearly, Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. He will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. As a result of keeping his word, 
His Father will love us, and Jesus and His Father will come and make their abode with us. You see how that's almost the next level now. When we, when we strive to keep His Word, it just brings us now to the next level, where they come and they make, Him and His Father come and they make their abode with us. There's a similar concept here. If you if you look in in uh, John chapter fifteen, John chapter fifteen, and and this whole portion in John chapter fifteen verses one through eleven talks about this. But let's pick it up. Uh, um, let's pick it up in in verse seven. John chapter fifteen verse seven. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. So he says, just as the Father has loved me. Just think about that. Just as God, the Father, loved Jesus, Jesus said, I have loved you. The same way my Father loves me, I've loved you. That's what he said. He said, he said that, that in verse nine, just as the Father has loved me, not, not a little bit like, just like, just as the Father has loved me, I've also loved you. Abide in my love. Abide in my love. That means he says, stay in that center place of my love. But this is kind of nebulous. How do you abide in his love? He says, oh, let me show you how you do that. The next verse. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So abiding is somewhat nebulous. But, Jesus said, let me, let me clarify this for you. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So it's as if there is this umbrella and we are under this umbrella abiding, we stay abiding in His love. But we can step out from this umbrella, we can step out from under this umbrella and then the result of that is that we're no longer abiding. It's not as if He's thrown us out. We have every opportunity to step out from under this umbrella of His love. Every opportunity. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. You see, Jesus makes the linkage there. Abiding in His love is through the keeping of His commandments. Being under this umbrella is through the keeping of His commandments. What are the commandments? It's not the 613 Mosaic Law commandments. We are not under any of those. If you want to put yourselves under those, that's fine. But if you think you're fulfilling the law, if you've broken one of them, you've broken them all, the Bible says. But there's plenty of commandments in the New Testament, and they are outlined specifically for us in the epistles. And you keep those commandments. That's what we are under. Nine of the ten of the Ten Commandments are embodied in the epistles. Uh, the only one that is not is that we is the Sabbath day. And that's why we are free to rest any day we want to rest. The Sabbath day will always be Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. That can't change. 
If you want to rest on that day, that's fine. You can take any day you want to rest. You don't want to rest, that's fine. But the Bible has practices for us. But as far as the commandment, it's not there in the New Testament. But what he says is, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Then he says in verse 11, These things I've spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. I'm telling you this. Why am I telling you that? Why, why even bother? Remember, to get, to get words in the Bible, you know, had to be, you know, kind of precious. And, uh, uh, he says, I'm telling you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. I want you to have my joy. And this is what he's talking about in Romans chapter 8 verse 10. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. If Christ is in you, you will be alive. And this is what I see. If people who spend time with God, people who wake up in the morning and spend time with God, their lives are characteristically different than the lives of other believers. It's not that one group is a believer and one is not. You can have two believers that believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that have confessed that He is Lord. Two people, side by side. One, their life is just filled with power and doing amazing things, and the other is that there's no substantive difference between them and anyone who's in the world. They're getting beaten up and tossed about by the world. And the joy is that you see somebody who spends time with God and honors the commandments of Jesus, keeps His Word. I mean, their lives, it's not like they just do their career and, you know, punch their their, their time into their career. It's that they do so many things way beyond their job. In their career they shine. In their job they shine. And it's not as if their lives are simple. They undergo the pains of death around them, the pains of, of sickness... Yet even in the midst of that, they're shining. You spend time with God and things are characteristically different. He says, if Christ is in you, and Jesus said, remember, you keep my commandments, my Father and I, are we're, we're coming, we're making our abode with you. Your life is going to be different. You want to be characteristically different in life? Now, you can say, well, you know, I just kind of want to do this on my own. Fine, do it on your own. The world is quite competitive out there. And no matter how smart you are, I guarantee you there's smarter people out there. No matter how hard you can work, there's harder workers out there. It's when Jesus comes in a life. When Christ is in you, he says, he says that, that, uh, um, when Christ is in you, he says, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. Just different. You are different. You guys are starting off your careers. You're starting off on this thing. I'm telling you, this is the treasure. This is the secret. And I've seen this in my own life. So many people come to me and say, how do you accomplish so much? How do you do all of these things? Even my colleagues say, you know, you, you, you do all this stuff. Students do this. How do you have time for all of this? I don't know, but God multiplies time. I'm telling you, He does. He says, my joy is going to be in you. And your joy is going to be made full. You're going to do so much more. This is the, the secret that he's putting before us. These are just treasures. And so, so there's this, this elevation that comes in Romans chapter 8 verse 10. If Christ is in you, boom, it is, it goes beyond even 
the Spirit. If Christ is in you, you've just taken it to the next level. And you can have Christ in you, making His abode with you, by having kept His commandments. You keep His word. He puts it two ways. Keep my commandments, keep my words. And then, then he, he in verse 11, He talks about the Spirit, and how that Spirit within us is going to raise up our mortal bodies. That's the Spirit of God. That's the Spirit that you get in verse 11 when you get saved. And we're going to come back to that. But now in verse 12, he says, So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. So he says, brethren, we are under obligation. It's not that we're not under obligation. He says, we are under obligation. We are obliged to do something now. And then he puts the negative. And it's not... To live according to the flesh. You see, the believer does not live in the flesh. Once you are in Christ, once you have had that Holy Spirit come upon you, He never leaves. But you can live according to the flesh, even when the Spirit is there. And the result of that is death. It means your life falls apart. But He says, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. So he says we're under obligation, but we're not, we're not talking about obligation to the, to the things of the flesh, to live according to the flesh. He says, why not? He says, because in verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, remember, it's not in the flesh, if you live, if you're a believer living according to the flesh, you must die. In fact, the literal translation is, you are going to die. If you live according to the flesh, if you have a study Bible, it will say you are going to die. If you look in Young's literal, it says you are going to die. If you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is the law of consequences. The law of consequences written right here. If the believer lives according to the things of the flesh... They are going to die. And I see this all the time. We're going to see in Romans chapter 9, Paul starts out, he said, it just tears me up to see my brethren, my fellow Jews, not know Christ. It tears me up to see these students whom I love not know Christ. And that's why I want to share it with all of them. I want them to hear about Jesus. But what also tears me up is when I see precious young lives Believers that live according to the flesh and I watch their lives get destroyed. I watch their lives get destroyed. And it's just painful because I know what the outcome is. I'm not a prophet. I just have so many data points in my mind because I've been working in the university so long. And and, and, uh, um, I've been in the university... All of my adult life, from the time I was 18, and I've seen it over and over again. Someone will say, well, we're getting married, and, and uh, um, he, he loves me, and I love him. And I'm like, well, I've personally never seen anybody get married that didn't love each other. I'm sure it happens. You know, sometimes people, you know, despite their parents or something, they get married when they don't love each other or something. But I've never seen that. People always love each other then how is it that so many marriages end up... It's just, I'll tell you, it's hell on earth. You give it a few years, it's hell on earth. And it's like they hate each other. They hate being around each other. How is it? How is it? How can that happen from people that loved each other? I see it all the time. 
because you live according to the flesh. You don't keep the words of Jesus. It's the law of consequences come dropping right in there. For if you are living according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if you live according to the Spirit, and you're putting to death the the deeds of the body, you will live. You will live. You know, marriage is not easy. Life is not easy. There's so many things that come at you. It's not easy. But once you have the Spirit, everything, everything changes. And you see... Shireen and, 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 uh, you see, see me and, and, and you see Shireen and you think, oh, you know, these, they love each other so much, everything. Well, you know, it's not always been like that. And not every day is like that. You know, she's still growing. She, <laughs> and, 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 uh, it, it's not always been like that. We have had our times and there are, we have gone to professional counseling. We've gone to church counseling and it was never good enough. We needed professionals. And I'll tell you, I mean, there are times in marriage you just need professional counselors because people in the church, they're flying by the seat of their pants. They, they, they're not theologians. They are not professional counselors. And, uh, um, you know, it, it's like you go up to somebody in the church and you say, hey, could you teach me something about chemistry? Oh, yeah, I remember something from high school. There's a, there's a table. I think it's called a periodic table. They don't know much. But you go to a professional, it's different. You go to a professional counselor. And we've been to professional counselors several times in our marriage. And it's gotten us through seasons and it's helped us a lot. And generally it doesn't take long. We're talking a matter of weeks. Six or eight weeks. I think that the longest time was maybe like three or four months. And then they said, you guys are good to go. You know, we'd end up laughing together. And it, and it was better. It got better. And I remember one time we went to a counselor and she started talking about how, you know, for the kid's sake, it's not good to have a divorce. And I'm like, wait a minute, who said divorce? That's not even in the, in the equation with us. I mean, we made a commitment to God and to each other. That's not going to be broken. That's not why we're here. We're going to live together. We're going to be together. It'd be much better to be together in peace than in war. That's what we need help with. And and um, and then I remember the counselor saying, okay, if this is your attitude, this is not going to be hard at all. And then I said to her, and anything you tell me, I will do. Anything you tell me to change in my life, I will do. She said, this is going to be easy. And I meant it. If you tell me I need to change this practice, I need to do, whatever you tell me, I will do. Now, Shireen didn't say that, but I was just trying to, you know, <laughs> I was hoping she would say the same thing. And... and, and um, did you know, man, that in every case that we went to a counselor, I was the one who initiated it? It wasn't Shireen. So often, wives in desperation are trying to get their husbands to go to professional counseling. It was not like that in my marriage. When I started seeing problems, I wanted help. I wanted help. I did the same thing with my kids. If, if my kids said one word... I remember one day my daughter asked me, she said, what, what's anorexia? And I explained it to her. And the next day she told me, she says, I think I'm going to become an anorexic. And my alarm bell just... She was in counseling that week. Professional counseling. I mean, you say that to me, it's just alarm bells. She was in professional counseling. And, you know, she was only there for like three sessions. And the counselor said, you know, there's nothing there. She's fine. She's going to be all right. And uh, But you just don't mess around with this sort of thing. 
or you're getting into professional counseling in my family. I'm going to get this thing fixed. And I was always very quick to act. And I urge you in marriage, be quick to act. Don't let these things fester. Be quick to act in, in raising your children. Be quick to respond. You know, there was, a, there was a time one of my sons was, he really looked depressed. He really looked depressed and, 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 uh, he was, he was in college and I said to him, I said, you know, mom and I are really concerned about you. We'd like you to go into counseling. He's like, dad, I don't need counseling. I said, I'd, I'd really like you to. And, uh, um, and, and so he did. And after two sessions, the counselor said, he doesn't need counseling. But I would rather overreact than underreact in something like that. And, and a good counselor is going to release them. They're not going to, you know, drag them out in this thing. And, and so, so, um, uh, you deal with these things, but I'm telling you, he says, if you function according to the Spirit, it is life and peace. If you don't, you are going to die. It is going to be destruction. If you disregard, as a believer, as a believer, if you disregard the word of Jesus, you disregard his word, you are going to die. It is going to be miserable. You're going to have a string of broken marriages and a string of broken children. I mean, that's, it's just, it's just painful. And what he's telling you, he says, I'm warning you. How much more explicit could the Bible be with us? We can never get to heaven and say, well, if you just told me a little bit more clearly, he'd be like, here's like a gazillion verses where I told you. And remember, you sat in on that Bible study where the guy was shouting, you know, you got to listen to this book. This is what he's talking about. He says, you get Christ in you, your life will shine. Your career will shine. You will end up doing so much more than the average person. And you're going to end up affecting lives of people all around you. People all around you will be affected for good because of you. When your life is filled with Christ, it touches so many. But as soon as the believer starts functioning according to the flesh, then problems start coming in. It just becomes an utter mess when we start functioning according to the flesh. I mean, it, it just just troubles, troubles all the time. So if you look, for example, in, in uh, um, Colossians, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. I mean, that's a pretty severe list. Immorality. How would you like to be in a marriage where your spouse starts having an immoral relationship with somebody else? How do you think that'll make you feel? I mean, we're talking about a pretty severe list here. And did you know this sort of thing happens all the time? All the time. When you don't walk with Christ, you open yourselves up to this. And it's harder on the believer, one who has accepted Jesus and walking in the power and, and has known the Holy Spirit and has then rejected. That's what he's saying. When you function according to, according to the flesh, the enemy has a heyday with you because you're a believer and it brings destruction. Then he goes and he says in verse six, for it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. 
And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. When you were living in them, you had to experience it. That's the list of what you're going to experience. Let me let me outline this, this for you again. If we walk according to the flesh, not obeying the, the, the words of Jesus, this is what we have facing us in life. Immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. And in verse, in verse uh, uh, 8, But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. He says when you start even getting into, not this really bad list of immorality, but when you even start getting into anger, wrath, I'm going to get them back. Malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth, you start getting close to this. He says, he says, uh, uh, you gotta, you gotta deal with these things. You put them aside. And remember, we don't put aside things by fighting them. We fill our minds with that which is good. Remember what we talked about last time? You, you fill your mind with that which is good. You meditate on that which is good. You take a verse like we talked about last time, Isaiah 41.10, and you just fill your mind with that. And so that's why it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 21, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How do you overcome evil? By resisting it? No. It's not by just resisting evil. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to... No. You overcome evil with good. It is a deliberate act. I am going to overcome evil with good. Somebody comes against you. Somebody's angry with you. You do them a good deed. You overcome evil by doing acts of good. And that will make you love that person more. You do a deliberate act of good. You envision in your mind, as C.S. Lewis says, you envision in your mind, if I loved this person, what would I do for them? I'd get them one of those big cups of, of Starbucks coffee that they like. All right? Do it. You find out what they like and you get it for them. You find out what they like and you do it for them. You overcome evil by doing a deliberate act of good. You overcome evil when it's attacking you in the mind by doing a deliberate act of meditating on that which is good. It is a deliberate act. You're filled with lust. You do deliberate acts of meditating on that which is good. Let your mind dwell on these things, the Bible says. That which is good and righteous and holy. If there be anything of good repute, let your mind dwell on these things. It is deliberately training our mind to dwell on the things that are good. You take a verse and you just start repeating that and envisioning that word by word by word in your mind. I've seen this. There's a, there's a young man I led to the Lord. And, and uh, he's in my research group, and I led him to the Lord. And then six months later, the whole COVID situation hit, and and all you know, we had to leave the labs for several months, and and he was stuck in his apartment. And we would have Zoom meetings every week, and he wasn't cutting his hair, and he was looking terrible, and 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 he was a believer, but he was a very young believer. And I said, I'm bringing two chairs. We're going to sit outside your apartment because it was COVID days and we are going to have a Bible study together. And I took him through Psalm 23. I mean the basics. I took him through Psalm 23. And we studied Psalm 23 together and we went word by word by word through Psalm 23. 
We got done. I said, I want you to every day go through this psalm. I want you to start exercising by walking around this whole apartment complex multiple times a day. And I want you to cut your hair and shave. He did that. His life changed. I mean, just changed. And to this day, he's glowing. To this day, he's glowing. And he may, you, 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 you know, he's, anyway, he's, he's just glowing. This is what happens when you take the word of God and you apply it. This word is an absolute treasure. And it is through this word that we fill our mind with that which is good. And it keeps us from going the wrong direction. Because there's destruction in that way. All right, let's pray. Blessed be the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be your name. Abba, Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. For for how you instruct us in that which is good. How you warn us over and over again to shun evil by filling our minds with that which is good. Father, I pray for these young people that they would not act according to the flesh. Father, that they would follow the Spirit of God and even bring that to the next level, that they're, they're, they would be filled with Christ by keeping His commandments and overflowing. Father, let their lives overflow. And Father, I pray for those who do not know you, those who've never received Jesus, they're in bondage to sin, unable to overcome this. Father, I pray for their salvation. Oh Lord, I pray that they would be saved. I pray, Lord, for their salvation. Father, I pray that you would draw them to Jesus, that they would get saved. Father, give me, give me, I pray, the opportunity Give me the opportunity to to pray with them, to share with them and see them come to the Lord. Oh, Father, how I want that. And it wrenches my heart to see them without Jesus. Father, draw them to your Son. And Lord, I pray that you'd open up an opportunity for me to speak with them. Lord, draw these young people for the glory of Jesus and in his name. Amen.